This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mark Nelson. Plague Ship by Andre Norton. Chapter 4 Gorp Hunt. But the interruption had disturbed the tenor of trading. The small chief who had so eagerly taken Paff's place had only two chorus stones to offer, and even to Dane's inexperienced eyes they were inferior in size and color to those the other clan leader had tendered. The Terrans were aware that chorus mining was a dangerous business, but they had not known that the stock of available stones was so very small. Within ten minutes the last of the serious bargaining was concluded, and the clansmen were drifting away from the burned-over space about the queen's standing fins. Dane folded up the bargain cloth, glad for a task. He sensed that he was far from being back in Van Rijk's good graces. The fact that his superior did not discuss any of the aspects of the deals with him was a bad sign. Captain Jellicoe stretched. Although his was not, or never what might be termed a good-humoured face, he was at peace with his world. "'That would seem to be all. What's the haul, Van?' Ten first-class stones, about fifty second-grade, and twenty or so of third. The chiefs will go to the fisheries to-morrow. Then we'll be in to see the really good stuff.' "'And how's the herbs holding out?' That interested Dane, too. Surely the few plants in the hydro and the dried leaves could not be stretched too far. "'As well as we could expect,' Van Rijk frowned. "'But Craig thinks he's on the trail of something to help.' The storm-priests had uprooted the staff marking the trading station and were wrapping the white streamer about it. Their leader had already gone, and now Tao came up to the group by the ramp. "'Van says you have an idea,' the captain hailed him. "'We haven't tried it yet, and we can't unless the priests give it a clear lane.' "'That goes without saying,' Jellicoe agreed. The captain had not addressed that remark to him personally, but Dane was sure it had been directed at him. "'Well, they needn't worry. Never again was he going to make that mistake. They could be very sure of that.' He was part of the conference which followed in the mess-cabin only because he was a member of the crew. How far the reason for his disgrace had spread he had no way of telling, but he made no overtures, even to Rip. Tao had the floor with Mura as efficient lieutenant. He discussed the properties of catnip, and gave information on the limited supply the Queen carried. Then he launched into a new suggestion. Felines of Terra, in fact a great many other of our native mammals, have a similar affinity for this. Mira produced a small flask, and Tao opened it, passing it to Captain Jellicoe, and so from hand to hand around the room. Each crewman sniffed at the strong aroma. 
It was a heavier scent than that given off by the crushed catnip. Dane was not sure he liked it. But a moment later Sinbad streaked in from the corridor and committed the unpardonable sin of leaping to the tabletop just before Mura, who had taken the flask from Dane. He meowed plaintively and clawed at the steward's cuff. Mura stoppered the flask and put the cat down on the floor. "'What is it?' Jellicoe wanted to know. "'Anisette, a liquor made from the oil of anise, from seeds of the anise plant. It is a stimulant, but we use it mainly as a condiment.' If it is harmless for the salariki, it ought to be a bigger bargaining point than any perfumes or spices I.S. can import. And remember, with their unlimited capital, they can flood the market with products we can't touch, selling at a loss if need be to cut us out. Because their ship is not going to lift from Sargal just because she has no legal right here. There's this point, Van Ryck added to the lecture. The Izees are trading, or want to trade, perfumes. But they stock only manufactured products, exotic stuff, but synthetic. He took from his belt pouch two tiny boxes. Before he caught the rich scent of the paste inside them, Dane had already identified each as luxury items from Casper, chemical products which sold well and at high prices in the civilized ports of the galaxy. The cargo master turned the boxes over, exposing the symbol on their undersides, the mark of I.S. These were offered to me in trade by a salaric. I took them just to have proof that the Izees are operating here. But note, they were offered to me in trade, along with two top coros for what? One spoonful of dried catnip leaves. Does that suggest anything? Mura answered first. The Salariki prefer natural products to synthetic. I think so. Do you suppose that was Cam's secret? speculated Astrogator Steen Wilcox. If it was, Jellicoe cut in, he certainly kept it. If we had only known this earlier. They were all thinking of that, of their storage space carefully packed with useless trade goods where, if they had known, the same space could have carried herbs with five or twenty-five times as much buying power. Maybe now that their sales resistance is broken, we can switch to some of the other stuff, Tang Ya, torn away from his beloved communicators for the conference, said wistfully. They like color. How about breaking out some rolls of Harlinian moth silk? Van Ryck sighed wearily. Oh, we'll try. We'll bring out everything and anything. But we could have done so much better. He brooded over the tricks of fate which had landed them on a planet wild for trade, with no proper trade goods in either of their holds. There was a nervous little sound of a throat being apologetically cleared. Jasper Weeks, the small wiper from the engine-room detail, the third-generation Venusian colonist whom the more vocal members of the Queen's complement were apt to forget upon occasion, seeing all eyes upon him, spoke, though his voice was hardly above a hoarse whisper. "'Cedar? Lacklebarch? Forshweed?' "'Cinnamon?' Mira added to the list. "'Imported in small quantities?' 
Naturally. Only the problem now is, how much cedar, lackle bark, forshweed, cinnamon do we have on board? demanded Van Ryck. His sarcasm did not register with weeks, for the little man pushed by Dane and left the cabin to their surprise. In the quiet which followed, they could hear the clatter of his boots on ladder rungs as he descended to the quarters of the engine-room staff. Tang turned to his neighbor, Johang Stotts, the Queen's engineer. "'What's he going for?' Stotts shrugged. Weeks was a self-effacing man, so much so that even in the cramped quarters of the spacer very little about him as an individual impressed his mates. A fact which was slowly dawning on them all now. Then they heard the scramble of feet hurrying back, and Weeks burst in with energy which carried him across to the table behind which the captain and Van Ryck now sat. In the wiper's hands was a plastisteel box, the treasure-chest of a spaceman. Its tough exterior was guaranteed to protect the contents against everything but outright disintegration. Weeks put it down on the table and snapped up the lid. A new aroma, or aromas, was added to the scents now at war in the cabin. Weeks pulled out a handful of fluffy white stuff which frothed up about his fingers like soap lather. Then, with more care, he lifted up a tray divided into many small compartments, each with a separate ceiling lid of its own. The men of the Queen moved in, their curiosity aroused, until they were jostling one another. Being tall, Dane had an advantage, though Van Ryck's bulk and the wide shoulders of the captain were between him and the object they were so intent upon. In each division of the tray, easily seen through the transparent lids, was a carved figure. The weird denizens of the Venusian polar swamps were there, along with lifelike effigies of Terran animals, a Martian sand-mouse in all its monstrous ferocity, and the native animal and reptile life of half a hundred different worlds. Weeks put down a second tray beside the first, again displaying a menagerie of strange life-forms. But when he clicked open one of the compartments, and handed the figurine it contained to the captain, Dane understood the reason for now bringing forward the carvings. The majority of them were fashioned from a dull blue-gray wood, and Dane knew that if he picked one up he would discover that it weighed close to nothing in his hand. That was lackle bark, the aromatic product of a Venusian vine, and each little animal or reptile lay encased in a soft dab of frothy white froshweed, the perfumed seed-casing of the Martian canal plants. One or two figures on the second tray were of a red-brown wood, and these Van Ryck sniffed at appreciatively. "'Cedar! Terran cedar!' he murmured. Weeks nodded eagerly, his eyes alight. "'I am waiting now for sandalwood. It is also good for carving.' Jellicoe stared at the array in puzzled wonder. You made these? Being an amateur xenobiologist of no small standing himself, the shapes of the carvings more than the material from which they fashioned held his attention. All those on board the Queen had their own hobbies. The monotony of voyaging through hyperspace 
had long ago impressed upon men the need for occupying both hands and mind during the sterile days while they were forced into close companionship with few duties to keep them alert. Jellicoe's cabin was papered with tridy pictures of rare animals and alien creatures he had studied in their native haunts, or of which he kept careful and painstaking records. Tao had his magic. Mura not only had his plants, but the delicate miniature landscapes he fashioned, to be imprisoned forever in the hearts of protecting plastiballs. But Weeks had never shown his work before, and now he had an artist's supreme pleasure of completely confounding his shipmates. The cargo-master returned to the business on hand first. "'You're willing to transfer these to cargo?' he asked briskly. "'How many do you have?' Weeks, now lifting a third and then a fourth tray from the box, replied without looking up. Two hundred. Yes, I'll transfer, sir.' The captain was turning about in his fingers the beautifully shaped figure of an astran duocorn. "'Pity to trade these here,' he mused aloud. "'Will Paft or Halfer appreciate more than just their scent?' Weeks smiled shyly. "'I filled the case, sir.' I was going to offer them to Mr. Van Ryck on a venture. I can always make another set. And right now, well, maybe they'll be worth more to the Queen, seeing as how they're made out of aromatic woods, than they'd be elsewhere. Leastwise, the Isies aren't going to have anything like them to show." He ended in a burst of honest pride. "'Indeed they aren't!' Van Ryck gave honor where it was due. So they made plans, and then separated to sleep out the rest of the night. Dane knew his lapse was not forgotten nor forgiven, but now he was honestly too tired to care, and slept as well as if his conscience were clear. But morning brought only a trickle of lower-class clansmen for trading, and none of them had much but news to offer. The storm-priests, as neutral arbitrators, had divided up the chorus grounds. And the clansmen, under the personal supervision of their chieftains, were busy hunting the stones. The Terrans gathered from scraps of information that gem-seeking on such a large scale had never been attempted before. Before night there came other news, and much more chilling. Paft, one of the two major chieftains of this section of Sargal, while supervising the efforts of his liegemen on a newly discovered and richly strewn length of shoal water, had been attacked and killed by a gorp. The unusual activity of the Salariki in the shallows had in turn drawn to the spot battalions of the intelligent, malignant reptiles who had struck in strength, slaying and escaping before the Salariki could form an adequate defense having killed the land-dweller's sentry silently and effectively before advancing on the laboring main bodies of gem-hunters. A loss of a certain number of miners or fishers had been pre-seen as the price one paid for Koros in quantity. But the death of a chieftain was another thing altogether, having repercussions which carried far beyond the fact of his death. When the news reached the Salariki about the Queen, they melted away into the grass forest, and for the first time the Terrans felt free from spying eyes. "'What happens now?' Ollie inquired. "'Do they declare all deals off?' "'That might just be the unfortunate answer,' 
agreed Van Ryck. Could be, Rip commented to Dane, that they'd think we were in some way responsible. But Dane's conscience, sensitive over the whole matter of Sutteriki trade, had already reached that conclusion. The Terran party, unsure of what were the best tactics, wisely decided to do nothing at all for the time being. But when the Sutteriki seemed to have completely vanished on the morning of the second day, the men were restless. Had Paff's death resulted in some inter-clan quarrel over the airship, and the other clans withdrawn to let the various contenders for that honor fight it out? Or, what was more probable and dangerous, had the aliens come to the point of view that the Queen was in the main responsible for the catastrophe, and were engaged in preparing too warm a welcome for any traders who dared to visit them? With the latter idea in mind, they did not stray far from the ship, and the limit to their traveling was the edge of the forest from which they could be covered, and so they did not learn much. It was well into the morning before they were dramatically appraised that, far from being considered in any way an enemy, they were about to be accepted in a tie as close as clan to clan during one of the temporary but binding truces. The messenger came in state, a young Salaric warrior, his splendid cloak rent and hanging in tattered pieces from his shoulders, as a sign of official grief. He carried in one hand a burned-out torch, and in the other an unsheathed claw-knife, its blade reflecting the sunlight with a wicked glitter. Behind him trotted three couples of retainers, their cloaks also ragged fringes, their knives drawn. Standing up on the ramp to receive what could only be a formal deputation, were captain, astrogator, cargo-master, and engineer, the senior officers of the spacer. In the rolling periods of the trade lingo, the torch-bearer identified himself as Groft, son and heir of the late lamented Paft. Until his chieftain father was avenged in blood, he could not assume the high seat of his clan, nor the leadership of the family. And now, following custom, he was inviting the friends and sometimes allies of the dead Paft to a gorp-hunt. Such a gorp-hunt, Dane gathered from amidst the flowers of ceremonial Salariki speech, as had never been planned before on the face of Sargal. Salariki, without number in the past, had died beneath the ripping talons of the water reptiles, but it was seldom that a chieftain had so fallen and his clan were firm in their determination to take a full-blood price from the killers. "'And so, Sky Lords,' Groft brought his oration to a close, "'we come to ask that you send your young men to this hunting, so that they may know the joy of plunging knives into the scaled death and see the horned ones die bathed in their own vile blood.' Dane needed no hint from the Queen's officers that this invitation was a sharp departure from custom. By joining with the natives in such a foray, the Terrans were being admitted to kinship of a sort, cementing relations by a tie which the I.S., or any other interloper from off-world, would find hard to break. It was such a piece of excellent good fortune as they would not have dreamed of three days earlier. Van Ryck replied, his voice properly sonorous, 
sounding out the rounded periods of the rolling tongue which they had all been taught during the voyage using Cam's recording. Yes, the Terrans would join with pleasure in so good and great a cause. They would lend the force of their arms to the defeat of all Gorp they had the good fortune to meet. Groff need only name the hour for them to join him. It was not needful, the young Selleriki chieftain-to-be hastened to tell the cargo-master, that the senior Skylords concern themselves in this matter. In fact, it would be against custom, for it was meet that such a hunt be left to warriors of few years, that they might earn glory and be able to stand before the fires at the naming as men. Therefore, the thumb-claw of Groft was extended to its greatest length as he used it to single out the Terrans he had been eyeing. Let this one, and that, and that, and the fourth, be ready to join the Salariki party an hour after nooning on this very day, and they would indeed teach the slimy, treacherous lurkers in the depths a well-needed lesson. The Salarik's choice, with one exception, had unerringly fallen upon the youngest members of the crew, Ollie, Rip, and Dane in that order. But his fourth edition had been Jasper Weeks, Perhaps because of his native pallor of skin and slightness of body, the oiler had seemed, to the alien, to be younger than his years. At any rate, Groft had made it very plain that he chose these men, and Dane knew that the Queen's officers would raise no objection which might upset the delicate balance of favorable relations. Van Rijk did ask for one concession which was reluctantly granted he received permission for the spacers' men to carry their sleep-rods. Though the Salariki, apparently for some reason of binding and hoary custom, were totally opposed to hunting their age-old enemy with anything other than their duelist weapons of net and claw-knife. "'Go along with them,' Captain Jellicoe gave his final orders to the four. "'As long as it doesn't mean your own necks, understand?' On the other hand, dead heroes have never helped to lift a ship. And these Gorp are tough from all accounts. You'll just have to use your own judgment about springing your rods on them." He looked distinctly unhappy at that thought. Ollie was grinning, and Little Weeks tightened his weapon-belt with a touch of swagger he had never shown before. Rip was his usual soft-voiced self dependable as a rock, and a good base for the rest of them, taking command without question as they marched off to join Groff's company. End of chapter 4